Hello and welcome to the Collective Wisdom Podcast, the podcast that explores how to be a wiser version of yourself. This is a podcast that helps you to tap into your own inner wisdom and find the answers within you for how to live your best life. I'm your host, Kat Preston. I'm a certified life coach and I help people to turn down the noise in their heads and tune into the wisdom in their hearts. Every week I'll be asking my guests to tell their stories about what they've learned along the way and share some of their wisdom with us. I'm so thrilled you can join us. This episode of the Collective Wisdom Podcast is brought to you by the Story Skills Workshop, a 30-day workshop designed by best-selling author and storytelling advisor Bernadette Jiwa, together with her friend and marketing guru, Seth Godin. Stories are the way we change minds and win hearts, and telling stories with more skill and intention is the best way to make a difference. This is a workshop where you'll be working alongside creatives, educators, entrepreneurs, scientists, and other amazing humans, learning how to tell better stories and have more impact on the world. I've had the privilege of not only taking the workshop, but also working as a coach in the program and have experienced firsthand the transformational power of learning how to tell better stories. It's true to say that this podcast comes from seeing that we all have a story to tell and having an impact on the world often starts with telling our own story. The next round of this 30-day workshop starts on June the 2nd. So you can head over to akimbo.com and find the link to the Story Skills Workshop and sign up there. And those kind and generous folks over at Akimbo have given me a link to share with you that will mean you get a 50% discount on the usual price of the program. The link will be posted in the show notes to this episode, which you can find at collectivewisdom.podbean.com or you can send me a direct message on Instagram at collectivewisdom underscore pod and I'll let you have the link there. Thanks so much to Bernadette Seth and the team over at Akimbo for such generous support. Hey there, my wise friends, and welcome to episode 23 of the Collective Wisdom Podcast. I have a really special guest for you this week, Jackie Davis. I described her, I think, in a former intro as a female version of Morgan Freeman. She's a natural storyteller. We met on the when she joined the Story Skills Workshop, which, by the way, is kicking off again on the 2nd of June. So as you will already have heard, there's a, there's a code for you in the show notes. If any of this resonates and you're thinking to yourself, I'd love to get better at telling stories because for me, you know, Bernadette Dewar has said it so well that storytelling is our most persuasive technology and we should use it for good. And I couldn't agree more. And Jackie is someone who has been leaning into her storytelling since she left the workshop. And I'm amazed and thrilled to say that she's actually, she talks in in the episode around uh, recording her story for TV. And at that point, it hadn't necessarily been um, selected to be aired, but she's since heard that her story will be going out on live TV. I'm going to try and give a link, but it's obviously in the US, so I'm not sure how easy it will be to, to link to that or whether it will make it to YouTube at some point. But I am so full of congratulations. And as you'll hear, Jackie just exudes wisdom. She's just somebody who has taken life and really put some thought into it. What I think I loved the most was how we ended up talking about how you define success. She explains that she was told from a very early age, she was voted in in high school as being the most likely to succeed. And yet somehow, instead of propelling her, that became a little bit of a burden until she was able to sit down and, and really have a chat with herself and say, what, what does success mean for you? And I think this is a question that is so empowering. If you can get really in touch with your own definition of success, and then part of that succeeding is once you have that vision, once you have that goal, knowing that what you're doing is moving you towards it. So not suspending that feeling of being successful until you arrive at this notional point, but to say, I'm succeeding because I'm moving towards my definition of success. And I think that is such a valuable piece of advice. And I'm so grateful to to Jackie for sharing it. 
So with that, I'll leave you to listen to her stories. And I'm, I'm just rejoicing in the fact that Claude and Gary, who she mentions, may be listening into this and being thanked in person. I was just so touched by that bit of the story. And her final request, her final act of simple kindness that she would be asking anyone who's listening to this is to reach out to someone who's maybe a bit different to you. And this Philip follows on so well from last week's episode with Philida Swift from Face Equality International, who, who asked at the end of the episode, if you meet somebody who has especially a facial difference or an outward visible difference that we have an inclination to maybe turn away or worse to stare, what would it feel like just to say hello and make a new friend? And funnily enough, the same message comes through from Jackie, as she said, maybe find someone who's not in your normal circle of friends, someone who's a bit different to you and, and reach out to them and, and ask them how it feels to be them today. What a, what a great way to just form a connection and meet someone new. If we all did that, imagine who you could form a bridge with, somebody that you would never normally reach out to. And social media makes that so possible. It doesn't have to be in person. It can just be someone who's being brave and courageous, leave a little comment saying, I saw your story, I saw your post, and I was really moved by it. That's an act of simple kindness. And it can make such a difference in people's lives. It doesn't have to be some big monumental act of generosity. It can just be as simple as holding up a mirror and saying, wow, I, I see you and, and I think you're very brave. So before I hand over to Jackie, I'll just leave you with the other thing that really touched me about what she was saying was she truly believes that anything is possible in life. And sometimes she just forgets that. But when she reminds herself, that's when she steps into her true potential. And I couldn't agree more. So I'll leave you to listen to Jackie and her beautiful stories. And that lovely quote that she, she ends on from Nelson Mandela, it always seems impossible until it's done. What a great way to remind yourself when, when things are tough and there's a challenge ahead of you. I hope you're having a great week and I'll hand you over to Jackie and her stories. I'm really pleased to say my guest today is just one of those people that you naturally gravitate towards in life. Jackie Davis is warm-hearted, funny, often self-deprecating and humble to the core about her own wealth of talents. Jackie is based in Massachusetts, but is a New Yorker at heart with an engineering degree from Cornell and an MBA from Harvard and has had a successful career, as she puts it, promoting nouns, people, places and things for a range of Fortune 500 companies. She's also run her own interior design company, which landed her a gig being featured on HGTV's Decorating Sense as a guest designer doing one day makeovers. Who doesn't love binge watching those programs? <laughs> and now she's approaching retirement, or as she calls it, her encore career. She's turning a COVID related redundancy in her favor and turning her, her hand to the art and craft of storytelling. We first met when Jackie enrolled in the Story Skills Workshop and Jackie's natural ability as a storyteller just shone through. I reached out to her to be on the podcast because she's someone who clearly is on a mission to find and follow her purpose and has been able to pivot and adapt her career to do just that. She's currently in the middle of her next iteration as a storyteller and has already been picked up by Public Broadcasting Network to appear on a show with one of her stories. But what fascinates me most was the story she told in the workshop of how as a child, instead of going to the local school in Brooklyn with her brother and sister, she was bussed across town to an elementary school in a predominantly white neighborhood and how this aroused her curiosity about environment and how it shapes your life. So Jackie, welcome, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for sparing the time to come and chat to me today. Uh, I was just really intrigued by this, the story in the first place, which didn't seem so remarkable to you, of going to school across town and being like the only black girl in a, in a predominantly white class and how that, how that 
shaped your life? Well, first, Kat, thank you so much for that introduction. I'm uh, I'm humbled by it. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I said you were humble. <laughs> oh, goodness, thank you. Well, yes, the um, my experience, when I look back on it, in some ways, I think it was quite remarkable. But as I was living it, it just seemed normal. Mm. I was in the third grade, so around eight years old when I was first bused um, to the to the school. And it's interesting. I look back recently to see the the distance, the driving distance from my home to that school. And it was about five miles. And I said, no way. It couldn't have been because the way that we went, the bus took us on the route and stopping off and picking up other kids. And we went to two different schools. It took at least an hour to get there. And those days that I had, uh, well, the months that I was able to convince my parents to give me a dime, I think it was about a dime for a, uh, a bus pass, I was able to take public transportation. So, and it was probably maybe fourth and fifth grade when I would take the bus to the train, take the train, transfer, take another train, walk to my school. And I thought, who does that? You know, who does that? You know, but it was a different time and place. I remember going into that neighborhood and seeing the homes there. So they were more of the typical wood or brick homes with the white picket fence and the lawn. And, you know, I was like, wow, this is yeah. something, you know, because where I lived, you know, was um, brownstones. And I thought, well, you know, we don't out in front of our house, there's just uh, concrete and an iron fence. And it was just so different. And I just, I wanted, I wanted to, I remember in, in third or fourth grade, we had, we were doing painting in the back of the classroom and people were, you know, other kids were doing their pictures of their homes and these just, these just pristine homes. And I'm doing this brick thing. And I thought, well, no, that's not good. So I kept tearing it down. And in some ways I felt embarrassed by it, oh, yeah. uh, you know, that my house wasn't measuring up to theirs. And particularly since my family lived in the basement of this particular place, you know, I just felt different, you know, less than. Yeah. And I remember in the kitchen, we had windows in the kitchen. It was one of those apartments where one room led into the other. And so we had windows in the kitchen and then windows all the way in the back where my parents' bedroom was. And I remember looking up and out of the windows, looking out of windows and seeing people's feet. That's all I could really see. And I'd always be curious about, well, where were they going and what were they doing? That's you know, um, and it was different. My neighborhood was a more um, racially mixed neighborhood. There were, you know, white families and black families and Hispanic families. And to leave there and go to this other neighborhood was just, it, it was a shock to me. I didn't know that there were that, you know, um, neighborhoods like that. Yeah, yeah. Do you know why? Why? How, how did it come about? Well, around in the, in the early 60s, there was a move to integrate schools in Brooklyn. And my parents got a letter and it, you know, said, well, you know, if you want your child to go to a different school, well, you can fill out this form and we'll see. And my parents were really eager to have me go to a different school. I had been, um, well, I wouldn't say a real troublemaker in second grade, but I just, I still have a report card where my, uh, my teacher said, you know, Jacqueline just talks too much. She disrupts the other children in the classroom. And I think what happened was I finished my work and I had nothing to do. So I talked, I bothered them. I did whatever I could do. And my parents wanted me to be able to use that time productively, you know, go to a school where I was really challenged. And so looking at the opportunity to go to a school that was better resourced uh, and they felt that I could really benefit from going there, you know, they went ahead and, and filled out the form and I got transferred. Yeah. And do you think, do you think there was something about that kind of, I mean, cause it's, it, 
it's a big journey, you know, and obviously the impact of the neighborhood and just the whole experience of, of perhaps not, not seeing other kids like you around yourself. But did, do you think that had an impact on, I mean, you went on to Cornell, you went on to Harvard, just this kind of, well, anything's possible. I can, I can pretty much, I mean, you're clearly a bright kid. And I think that's probably why there was this sort of um, element of, of just being selected almost, you know, you see it as being disruptive, but it was clearly that you were just getting through the work because you had that natural talent. But do you think it really gave you that sort of impetus of self-belief being kind of picked out like that from an early age? Um, I think it gave me independence for sure and self-confidence and and belief. You know, mm. I I didn't really, at least I don't remember really hesitating to go to the other school. It was like an adventure. Yeah. Um, and I'd get to meet new people and, and do different things. And I think that being in that environment served me well, because even now, you know, if you were to, without COVID being around, come to, to, to an event at our home, you see all kinds of people here. You know, they're Black people and white people and Asian people and Latinx people and gay people and straight people and old. I mean, just a whole mixture of people, because I think that going into that environment helped me feel at ease with people who weren't like me. Yeah. And, you know, so I think that I carried that forward, you know, into college, you know, when I was in college and then and also graduate school, I still was one of the few, but I didn't feel, you know, I didn't feel intimidated or less than or separate or apart you know I kind just grown used to that that right yeah you know it, it was just like. normal you know yeah, it was normal yeah. um and so at work you know the same thing I would be one of the only or one of few and it was normal um and so the experience that I had I think helped me grow and develop and become the person that I am today yeah, and I have a real sense that you use it as a as a bridge to, as you say, embrace everybody from from different walks of life, from different backgrounds. You know, you you just sort of you you see the person rather than putting labels on people or putting them in boxes, which is that's that's the element to to you know, especially when it comes to your stories. How I think it's that capacity to to be curious about people and to engage with people that makes you such a good storyteller. So it really did stand you in good stead. And I think the other thing I loved about your story is this, um, oh, I just started a, uh, an interior design business, but actually, you know, you followed something inside you that was around, maybe, maybe was planted, the, the seed for that was planted when you were that little girl going across town and seeing different houses and different environments. But then, you know, Oh, and then I just ended up on TV as if this is something that happens to everybody. <laughs> and you just drop these things into the conversation. You did what? You know, but that must have been such an experience. Well, it, it was, you know, I had not never really thought about interior design as a career. And yet when I was a little girl, I was the one who never had no one ever told me, well, you have to clean your room my room was always neat and clean. You know, I, I you know, I, I still remember two years that uh, I went to sleepaway camp. I got the trophy for the neatest camper in my cabin. And that was me. I always liked to decorate my room. And, you know, I remember once I convinced my parents to let me put contact paper on the wall instead of wallpaper and contact paper is very adhesive and so when I was trying to take it off you know pieces of wallboard were coming off you know that was a project that didn't go very well <laughs> but I just liked beautiful surroundings yeah and um and I think part of that stemmed from going to that school and into that neighborhood where, you know, there's luscious lawns and, you know, everything looks so beautiful to me. And I wanted to create that kind of environment for myself. When I decided to go to design school, I went at night while I worked full time during the day and um, thought, well, I don't know if I really can do this. And, you know, I was acing every class and I thought, hmm. 
I guess I'm pretty good at this. Yeah. Uh, and my sister actually told me about HGTV. We didn't have that channel. And so when I went to visit her, I watched it and I said, oh, well, yeah, I think I want to do that. And she said, oh, okay. You know, and my husband and my sister both sort of said, oh, okay, you want to do HGTV. Okay. So I sent in uh, a message and um, got to the people who were, there was a group that was actually sending people to the show. And they said, well, we don't know if we're going to do it, but we'll let you know. Okay. So a few months later, I got a letter. Uh, yes. Uh, contact us. Okay. Well, you can come and uh, do you still want to come? Yes. Okay. Well, you'll have to come in July. That's in three weeks. Okay. Well, you'll be doing two homes. Okay. And, you know, they just, they, everything they said, okay, well, it just so happened that that year um, we were off for 4th of July on a Monday and a Tuesday. I went to work on Wednesday, Thursday, I flew to Minnesota. I did a house on Friday and then another one on Saturday, flew home Sunday and went back to work. Oh my God. And nobody was the wiser, but <laughs> I had put an ad in a newspaper, a tiny little ad. And one of the editors contacted me and said, oh, well, you know, we saw this. What is this one day decorating thing? So I explained it and they came out to our home and interviewed me and took pictures. And they said, well, we're putting this in the community newspaper and it goes to, yeah, I don't know, a dozen or so neighborhoods. I thought, oh, okay. Well, then I knew I had to get out of my job because I said, well, the HGTV programs are coming on and this article is going to be uh, published. So August of that year, I said, well, I, um, I, I'm, I'm quitting. I'm starting an interior design business. And they laughed at me. Oh, no, you're not. You're just tired. You need a break. I, no, 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 really, I am. Well, it wasn't until October that I finally got out of there that, you know, I had all that time to convince them and get someone in to train and take my place. And the show uh, aired in October and the article was published in October and the phone started ringing. It was all my, my friends wow. from work. You did it. You really did it. And you're on HGTV. And I was on for nine or 10 years uh, as a guest uh, decorator. Gosh. I mean, it's just, and, and it, this is just the way you tell these stories. It's just like, and this just happened and then this just happened. But <laughs> I think beneath that, there's this pure conviction that it's possible and that you also have the skills, you know, you, you then just, you invest the time it takes to go to design school, but, but there's something about you where you just ease and grace seems to follow, you know, whilst you decide, okay, I'm going in this direction now. And everybody else is left going, how, how did you pull that off? You know, it's just <laughs> incredible. Well, it's funny that you think that because I really do think that anything is possible, but sometimes I psych myself out, you know, and I think, oh no, I can't do that. I'm going to think, well, maybe just give it a try. Go ahead, dip your toe in the water. And it turns out okay. Yeah. Um, and I must and admit, that's what compelled me to to say come on the podcast right now because I feel like you're in the middle of that process of just you know if you like being in the chrysalis and then there's just going to be this beautiful butterfly of a storyteller appears and I I kind of want to be the person that says you saw her here first <laughs> <laughs> okay you I know you have first. those skills I know you have you know just the way when you're talking and you're telling stories and it's like I remember this and this happened and you know there's a beautiful sort of um yeah, it, it's just a, it, it's, it's like sitting, listening to bedtime stories. It's, it's fantastic. So that was your next iteration. You said, okay, I, I've got this period, uh, you know, there's been this redundancy. I've got a little bit of a, a gap, a pause, if you like. And you joined the story skills workshop and sure enough, you were really good at it. A, you stuck at it because not, not everybody does, you know, not everybody, they get in there and realize there's no sort of magic formula you actually do have to do the work of going back into those memories and and crafting that story and now you know i'm just watching you sort of start to make the you, you said there's a community in boston that is a storytelling community and you're going to go and be part of that and then you you reached out to somebody and 
oh, sure enough, PBS, which is a, a TV station in the States, are recording stories. So there's something about that once you get behind something, even though you have those self-doubts, that you just come up with that strategy of just how do I move this forward and test. I loved what you said about testing the water. So I was really interested to know more about how it feels at the moment to be in that sort of messy, I'm not quite sure where this is going to go, but I'm just making those, those first steps. Some of it feels, it does feel messy, but some of something about it also feels exhilarating at the same time, because I feel like I'm on the right path. Yeah. And I'm not quite sure of each step along the path, but I have in the back of my mind where I'd like to get to at the end. And so I'm excited about it. And it's just opened up you know, a, a whole new adventure for me because it wasn't something that I ever considered, but then I tried it and I thought, oh, I'm pretty good at this. Let me keep trying. And, you know, it's even funny when I met the woman who has been a storyteller for 30 years, I thought, wow, ooh, how did I get here? But then at the same time, I figured out, you know what, this is great. They thought you were good enough that they would allow you to come and tell a story when there's someone who has been doing this for years and years and years. So you must be pretty good at this. Yeah. And I know that there's room for improvement. And I... I'm reaching out to people to find out, well, how do I tell different stories and what kind of different stories should I tell? Uh, what kinds of groups, what courses, what I'm just getting totally immersed in it. And so even though it sort of feels messy and I'm not quite sure yet how I'm going to get to the next step, it seems like I think about it or I ask for what I want. And then the next thing I know another door opens yeah and, and that's what i love about your story and and interesting that you say asking for what you want because you know we're both members of the the right company which is a sort of community of people who are just building businesses that you know we 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 get together and we discuss what's enough or we we were discussing you know finding your purpose and and how you build a business that fits you and one of the things that really strikes me within that community is how good you are at reaching out and saying, what do you guys think about this? Or who's got some experience in this? What should I do about this? And really asking, not, not just generally asking for help, but being really specific, you know, going towards the guys who've already written books, perhaps, and saying, what did you do? What were the first steps? And that seems to be part of the gold of, of, of how you take that first, like, I'm not sure about this. I'm just gravitating towards something. And then the motivation comes when you just start really moving towards it. It's just fantastic. Well, you know, it's funny, Kat, because I just think, isn't that the way things are done? <laughs> just, well, you know, I just know from a coaching point of view, so many people don't. They stay stuck in the messy middle or they don't even make that first step. And they're so paranoid. You know, the Putting, putting themselves next to a, a, a storyteller who's been doing it for 30 years would be enough. The imposter rears its head and they just say, oh no, I'm not good enough yet. And whereas your stories all seem to be about just diving in and seeing what happens. What's the worst that can happen? Well, but what's the best? Exactly. I was just about to say that. What's the worst that could happen? You know, it's always a new experience, a new adventure. I think I'm just curious and maybe just naturally curious, but I always want to know, well, what's next? Or how do you do it? Because there are a lot of things I know, but a lot of things I don't know. And, you know, rather than recreating the wheel, it's sort of like, well, what did you do? How did you do it? And, you know, what should I look out for? Uh, you know, sometimes, you know, I feel like I can get stuck in there and do too too much thinking, too much researching. But when I feel good about it, then I can just, I guess the word that came to me, I could just zoom. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's just occurred to me that actually, maybe it's your engineering background, that real sort of scientific approach of try and test and iterate in a small way 
before you're going into anything bigger. You know, it's just, okay, right, here's the strategy, here's the formula. But there's a, there's quite a scientific approach to it almost, which is interesting when I think of you as an engineer. Hadn't thought about that, but there's probably, yeah, that, that may have a lot to do with it. I, um, you know, when I graduated from school, I actually didn't finish the engineering program. I switched to a different major. And when I uh, went to work, I worked for IBM and I was a systems engineer. And you have to be very logical, methodical, figuring out issues with the hardware and the software. And so that's probably one of the reasons that I take the approach that I take. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure that is at the heart of it is just have the end goal in mind and then keep going with the steps, even if there's some failures along the way or things don't seem to be going the way you thought they were. Don't overthink that. Just feel your way into it. Experiment. And yeah, I think that's what I find so compelling about. And the whole time you're there just going, well, this happened and then this happened as if it's all just magically falling into place but actually you're making that happen so you know what, you're saying that reminds me of a cartoon i saw um where you see a duck and it's something like um you know looking really calm on the outside but underneath the water the duck is paddling and paddling and paddling <laughs> no, that. Yeah, that, that's what that reminds me of yeah not letting i think that's the the key to not letting that imposter so keep keep paddling under the water but meanwhile what i'm showing on the outside while the imposter's rearing its head is i'm just gonna do this and just keep breathing and cool and collected you know <laughs> yeah and you were making me laugh with the you know when you were saying about recording the the tv show and how you were trying to keep it within the time and and get it all perfectly right and they were the ones saying to you don't worry slow down <laughs> slow down take it easy yeah and, and right. knowing that that's the path to, you won't get it perfect first time, but you just, just keep going with it. Yeah, fantastic. So we're obviously here to tell stories, which I'm so excited about. I, kindness just resonates from you. Um, it, I think that is what makes you somebody that, that we just sort of gravitate towards naturally. Um, so what were, you, what were you drawn to as a story about an act of kindness? that's impacted you? Well, act of kindness that impacted me, well, I'll, I'll make it a short story, but it, it was really um, about um, one, one of my, an experience uh, related to my last uncle uh, who died in 2011. Right. And he lived with my sister for the last two and a half years of his life. And, um, he, I remember us going to visit him in his apartment and uh, we walked in and there were these boxes all over the place and he had been packing. And I looked at my sister and she looked at me and we said to him, oh, looks like you've been busy. And he sort of smiled and said, yeah. Well, what was really funny about that was about two weeks before then, he contacted my sister and, and said to her, you know, well, would you think about me coming to live with you? And she said, oh, okay. But then when we walked in and we saw all that packing that was going on, we knew that it wasn't, you know, think about if I could come live with you, but when can I come live with you? Yeah. And so that was really funny. During his funeral, the priest wouldn't allow me to deliver his eulogy, but she says, well, you know, you can say a few words about him. And um, it, what was, well, it wasn't funny, but it was funny because when I finished my few words, she said, <laughs> Jackie Davis stole my thunder. <laughs> and, you know, and I thought, well, you know, I really wanted to do justice to my uncle's life. And I, then people had come the night before to the viewing and they weren't able to say what they wanted to say and express their sentiments. And, and I really wanted to do that. So I'm up and I'm talking about him and I'm thanking people. And I just had this feeling like there's something I'm forgetting. And it reminded me of the Academy Awards ceremony when people get up to accept their Oscar and they're thanking everybody and they keep saying, but there's somebody, there's somebody. Yeah. And I felt the same way. And 
you know, it wasn't until much later that I remembered when my uncle was moving, my husband wasn't able to help us. So two of his friends from college came and they helped me and my sister move my uncle. And we were there all day and we were finished packing and they put things on the truck, the boxes and the furniture. And then at the end of the day, everybody's tired and my uncle's trying to pay them. And they're like, no, 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 no. But they were smart enough to accept dinner with us because we were starving. <laughs> So, you know, we went to dinner and um, they had to reshuffle things on the truck before they left because um, I was taking some of the boxes and, and the furniture and bringing them back with me to Massachusetts. You know, so it was just exhausting. And, you know, it suddenly it, it dawned on me. I said, you know what? Those people, these two guys were so kind. They took time off from work. They were friends with my husband. I knew them from college, but they had met my uncle maybe once or twice before then and spent the whole day, didn't accept any money. And here it was, I was at his funeral and I forgot to thank them. So the two people who did this act of kindness were Claude and Gary, and I never got a chance to thank them properly. And so that's the act of kindness that I remember that really impacted me because it made me think about and appreciate friendship and how important it is to have friends and how precious uh, friends are. Yeah. And are they still around? Will they, is there any chance they'll hear this? Well, I'll make sure they hear this. <laughs> yeah, because in a way it's almost, that's so much better to say, oh my goodness, I really did just completely blank out there, but I'm going to make it good. And I'm going to be even more generous with my thanks because yeah, they kind of, they must've known how grateful you were, but it's such a lovely thing to be able to turn around and say, this really, really had an impact on me. Yeah. Just amazing. Really, really appreciate them. Yeah. And it sounds like your, your uncle just was again, somebody who just had people helping him out and, and, was obviously somebody who had a natural affinity for people and just wanted to be around the right sort of people. Just oh, oh, definitely he did. You know, and, and my uncle, my sister keeps saying, you know, I must have gotten it from him and 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 one of my aunts. She says because he just always had to have his fifteen minutes of fame, and people loved him. They gravitated towards him, and you know, it, there was just such an outpouring of love at his funeral. It was it was incredible. Yeah, so thank goodness you did steal the priest's thunder because it's not <laughs> like you know, <laughs> there in the background going, no, make sure she gets up there and tells it, tells it like it really is. <laughs> it was funny, you know, it was, you know, one of those situations where everybody, you know, it, in all their sorrow and the crying, they just had to chuckle because Jackie Davis stole my thunder. Yeah, you gave me the stage, you gave me the microphone. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I think it's so nice in a way when you can, when someone's really lived a full life like that, that you are able to celebrate that life, even through all the grief and the, and the pain of the loss. It's, it's actually when you've got everybody there and you're just able to sort of reflect on, wow, what an amazing person. Oh, I love that story. Thank you, Jackie. And so we always bring it around to a challenge because the reason I, I, I ask people to think about something that they've overcome as a challenge is because I really believe that most people are so much more resourceful and resilient than they give themselves credit for. And I'm always intrigued as to where they go when it's when they start to think about their own challenges in life. My challenge, let's see, I think that one of, if not the biggest challenge I've had is, is all around success. Um, because when I was in high school, uh, I was voted most likely to succeed. And I think that that has, it's been a weight, you know, sort of a burden that I've carried all, you know, for many years, probably even, even now. And I never really thought about succeed at what, you know, what, what exactly does that mean? You know, was I supposed to succeed at a job or having a certain amount of money or income? What, what, you know, I never really figured out what that meant. So I decided uh, that in order to succeed 
it meant that I had to be perfect. And Mm -hmm. if I could be perfect, then I could succeed. And, you know, I would think that if I didn't know how to do something or I couldn't learn it, it didn't come quickly to me because it had to come fast. If it didn't, then I wasn't perfect and I wouldn't succeed. And it's kind of crazy because, you know, perfect never comes. You know, it's like, you know, <laughs> you know where does that come from? And, at, you know, I at, at some point I thought, well, you know, you, you just get over it. Because if I keep wanting to be perfect and I don't take steps towards doing it, then I'm standing in the way of my own potential. Yeah. And I had to, at some point, you know, I just maybe it was I read about what growth versus fixed mindsets. Oh, and, Carol Dweck. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Really and powerful. I thought that, you know, I read that and I was like, wow, this is really good stuff because, you know, when you have that fixed mindset, it's like, well, I have a certain amount of intelligence. I'm born with this amount. I can learn this and I can't learn anymore. And you know, when you get there and you think that you're just stuck, but if you have that growth mindset, you're like, okay, well, through learning and practice and uh, work, I can improve. I can, you know, have more abilities. I can make more. I can have more potential. And, you know, so if you're persistent and work hard and you learn, then, you know, you can go on. And so that is you know, sort of how I've sort of overcome that feeling of I have to be perfect and and, and, and I have to succeed. Um, and so to me, you know, I'm thinking now success is sort of, you know, figuring out, well, what is it I want to do? And as long as I put one foot in front of the other, take the next step and keep moving towards it, then I'm succeeding. Um, yeah, that's so and so- whole different idea about what it is and you know what it is to succeed well it's it's really interesting because what I'm hearing from you that it was almost like having having too much success in and in, in inverted commas you know how it, if it's how society defines success early on in life you almost describe that as as being a bit of a curse that then then it's kind of you've got to keep on producing that and you you you're never allowed to be failing at something or trying something and and not succeeding and that i guess can be a real driving force when you're younger but but what you were saying about how important it is to revisit what success means for you mm-hmm. to really dig into that definition of how we can get to the point where it's the pursuit of something is is the happiness rather than the when I get there I'm going to feel happy how can you help yourself feel contented with just the very act of you know defining somewhere I want to go and then enjoy the journey is that's so wise and so powerful so yeah just and I I, it's interesting because it ties in so well with we were just doing this exercise with Ikigai that whole Japanese philosophy around finding your purpose and where you can you can maybe marry up um, something what is it something I love with what the world needs right with what you can do well what you can do yeah what your skill set is that's it right. and, and then what you can make money at can I get paid for it and right. if you can find something in that sweet spot and and also then then realize that that's not necessarily going to stay the same for forever right. you know it's like and i can get to the top of that mountain and then i can see what what else is on the horizon is just yeah. such a beautiful way to to describe it i think as we grow you know we change and we look for different things and different uh things give us satisfaction or mean success but you know at the end of the day it's really defining for myself you know, for people as individuals to define success for themselves as opposed to what society holds as success. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it's really, you know, thinking about that has helped me think about, well, who I am and who I want to become. And, you know, it changes. And, and um, you know, that's the thrill of it all. 
Yeah. And, and also what I love about, you know, the way you describe your encore career, it's almost going to be something that takes you into that, that third age, if you like, where you can carry on doing this for the rest of your days, you know, storytelling, writing, tapping into your creativity. And I have this sneaky suspicion that the money will follow actually when you, when you start to find success within that. But, but I love that you're, you're now sort of taking the time to say, really, what is it that I want to, to lean into, you know, um, now that I have got to a position in my life where there's not that pressure to pay the mortgage or, you know, I, I've, I've built some credit in the bank, if you like, and I can start to look at, at taking some time to just, to just lean into what resonates and, and what makes me feel, feel happy and, and, and motivated when I get in, out of bed in the morning. Well, it's funny because I think that any time that I have done that in my career, I've been more successful. You know, I've been happier at work and I've been happier at home. You know, I think that, you know, I've had, I I don't know how many corporate jobs and some of them I really loved and some of them I really hated. I thought, well, it's not what I thought it was going to be. And, you know, I had to find a way to make the best of a bad situation and figure out, okay, what's the next step? How do I get out of this? But, you know, it just, when I feel like I'm on the right path, then everything seems to fall into place. You know, again, happier at work, happier at home, um, not as conflicted. Um, But, you know, sometimes I fall off the wagon <laughs> and yeah, we we all have to do a little bit of visiting every now and again tuning in it's that that listening to the the instincts what's and and often something can happen it can be a health thing i honestly think it affects your health if you're really constantly under stress you're really not aligned with your true values you're not really tapping into those innate strengths so it can be something else external that then causes you to stop and say okay and for you, that beautiful pause where, okay, it was a redundancy. And on the one hand, that could look like bad news, but equally it gives you time to just, okay. Uh, and then you start the story skills workshop and discover a whole new set of skills and talents that yeah. perhaps wouldn't have been explored otherwise. So yeah, really beautiful. I knew this would be absolutely jam-packed full of wisdom. You, you, just, you just kind of resonate just that kind of inner, inner wisdom, that inner sort of sense of where am I going with this? So, so tell me, Jackie, how important has music been in your life? Well, music has been really important to me um, because, you know, it's funny because I enjoy music, but I have no musical talent whatsoever. And so, you know, I I, I am 100% positive, 100% positive on that. I could tell you stories about how I've embarrassed myself trying to sing things, or I don't even understand what the words are, but I'm not going there today. (laughs) uh, Yeah, I have no, and it's funny because I had an aunt, she passed away in 2012, but she was an opera singer. And she was the first uh, Black woman to perform Aida at the Metropolitan Opera House. Wow. I have been convinced that she took the voice for the entire family because not one of us (laughs) can tell it to Not one. Well, she at least put it to good use. Yes, she did. (laughs) She ran off with it. (laughs) You know, so I have... um, always enjoyed music and and there was one um one piece that really i enjoyed and and touched and i think about it to this day and it um it's actually a song more so than the music but it's uh the title is to be young gifted and black and it was a song that was uh composed and and um and sang by uh, Nina Simone. Nina Simone oh. sang it in the 1969-1970 time frame. And she was a singer and a songwriter and a civil rights activist. Yeah. Um, and it uh, actually, the, the song, the title comes from a, uh, a play. It was an autograph, autobiographical play 
called To Be Young, Gifted, and Black. And it was it was uh, written by Lorraine uh, Hansberry, who died at an early age when she was 34. And mm. the um, song was written in her memory. Mm. And I just, uh, well, one of the verses of the song, I'll tell you, it's, uh, you are young, gifted, and Black. We must begin to tell our young. There's a world waiting for you. Yours is a quest that's just begun. And the song was considered um, the civil rights, uh, the anthem of the civil rights movement, uh, where blacks and you know and allies in the United States joined together and and you know really campaigned to end institutionalized racism and and racial segregation. And when I heard the song back then, and and you know if I even listen to it now, I almost feel like Nina Simone was talking to me. Yeah, yeah. And black. And so, you know, it was. um, And in a way, she kind of was. Yes. You know, it was like telling me my whole life, my whole world was waiting for me. Um, And, you know, just to to keep that thought, you know, and, and, and now, you know, it feels like it's one of those messages that, you know, black children need to hear today. Um, because, you know, although it's years, years, years after that song was uh, first out, that, you know, we still are living you know, in a world with racial injustice. Yeah, there's sort of progress made, but it's not enough progress. And it's really, it feels sometimes one step forward, two steps back. You know, I remember when Obama was inaugurated. I mean, I was in Chicago when he first made it to the Senate and I just heard him speak on national public radio and just thought, wow, this guy is so impressive. And and yet, yeah, the damage that can be done, you know, it, it it's you've got to keep that message just coming loud and clear. And mm-hmm. I think what was so powerful about Nina Simone is is turning it into something so beautiful. You know, those anthems do stay with us because the she just used her talents and her creativity to that's that's the power of good art isn't it when you can just yeah speak to the masses and 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 it feels like it is a a personal message to you which wow what a powerful piece of music to put on the playlist thank you i love it i mean i i think about it and it just it gives me chills and it's just you know, her, that deep voice and just the way she sang it and, and the message that, um, that came from it. Um, so I, I love it. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. And as relevant today, as you said, as it was when it was written. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a powerful anthem. So thank you for that. And it's interesting because you, I mean, as I say, you resonate, there's just so much wisdom. I think you have such a lived experience that you, you actually take action on it's not just i know this stuff but i've i've really and and one of the most wonderful things you've said actually was i know what i know but i also know what i don't know which is for me the heart of wisdom and and how you just then find out the people who do and go and ask them and that's that's such a wise thing to do but what would you say is the sort of nugget of wisdom that you want to leave with us today okay the nugget of wisdom well, the nugget of wisdom comes from Nelson Mandela, and it was uh, from a, a 2001 speech that he gave. And in that, he said, it always seems impossible until it's done. Yeah. And I've used that uh, quote at, and the signature. It's the signature on one of my email accounts so that when I'm sending messages, I can see that. Because, you know, sometimes I get stuck and I'm thinking, oh, you know, this is never going to happen. And I see that it always seems impossible until it's done. Because, you know, many times we look back on things that seem so hard at the time. You look back and you're like, oh, yeah, it wasn't impossible. It actually happened. I did it. <laughs> and it just kept uh, going. Oh. Yes. Yeah, so it, it it inspires me. You know, I just it keeps me going, even yeah, if it's different. and. Those little messages sometimes, I mean, it, it what sprung to mind straight away for me was Amanda Gorman and her little message of be the light. And I mean, you are someone who is so such a light, Jackie. I mean, it's like that whole kind of, yeah, just those little reminders, especially when 
things don't seem to be all going according to the strategy or the plan but yeah it always seems impossible until it's done fantastic we will we'll definitely put that in the uh in the little collection and we would i've been sort of just generally turning around an act of simple kindness and asking my guests if they have an ask of my audience anything that they would want to ask for um you know you're just about to start on this new career as a, a storyteller where can people find you perhaps where can they follow your stories what are you sort of exploring for what's coming next so right now i don't have a website so they can't follow me on a website but i will have one by the end of 2021 or beginning of 2022 and it right now it's jackie.me okay and perfect that that is the domain name that i plan to use um so since i don't have one yet i think what i would like people to do is to perform an act of kindness for someone they don't know or for someone who is different from them you know so black white young old gay straight male female somebody that you know, we tend to gravitate towards what's familiar to mm -hmm. us. And so I'm just asking people to reach out to somebody who is not. I'm getting emotional. I don't know. Yeah, why. that's so beautiful. I'm getting emotional. That's just such a lovely thing to ask for. Yeah. Somebody who is different, you know, and just do that random act of kindness. And so next year when jackie.me is up and running to just come back and 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 share that story about what your act of kindness was wow yeah to start a little movement that is so beautiful so beautiful Thank and you. it doesn't surprise me at all that you've turned it around into something really powerful yeah so i would just like to say how much of a pleasure it's been i hope that so who was it claude and guy Gary, Gary, Claude and Gary. I hope that Claude and Gary get to hear this and, and that you can write that little uh, forgetfulness, which who can blame you when you're standing up there, you know, and there's all these people to remember. That's a lot of pressure. But I hope that Claude and Gary get to hear this. And I'd just like to say thank you so much for sharing your stories so generously and bringing all of that wisdom with you to the podcast. Thanks, Jackie. Thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Kat. Thank you. Brilliant. And best of luck with that new uh, encore career, which I know is going to be a superstar hit. Wasn't that just amazing? I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Uh, I'm so grateful to Jackie for sharing her stories so generously and for just making that such a fun conversation. And just before I go, I just want to send huge congratulations to my gorgeous friend, Kate Scanlon, who had a little baby boy last week. Niall Anthony Ty Scanlon, a warm welcome to the world and oh, sending so much love to you, Kate. I hope you're having a great time being a new mum. I know how much this has meant to you. And I've already put you in touch with my gorgeous friend, Christina Lewis who is a fellow IPEC coach, and she is also a new mum. She's, she's had her little baby girl, Malia, about three months ago. And her business is the Intuitive Mama Coach Company. She's on Instagram, just helping new mums kind of explore how to make this really fun and intuitive and get the most out of this gorgeous, precious time with their newborns. So I wanted to say congrats to Kate and I can't wait to meet your little man. I hope that good news lifts your spirits as much as it does mine and um, have a great week. Thank you so much for listening. There are almost a million podcasts out there to choose from. So I really appreciate you for choosing this one and spending your valuable time with me today. If you found it helpful, I would be truly grateful if you would rate and review it as it helps others to find us. And if you haven't already, you can hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts to be sure of getting every episode sent to you. You can find all the resources we talk about and more about my guests in the show notes over at collectivewisdom.podbean.com. 
or you can find me on Instagram at Collective Wisdom Pod, where I'd love to hear any feedback, suggestions for new guests or comments that you have. I'd love to hear from you. And if you're interested to know more about how my coaching can help you, you can find more about that on my website at catpreston.com. Thank you so much for joining me.